Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, hey there, church family. I am so excited to be coming to you from Rome. (laughs) And I don't mean Rome, Georgia. I mean Rome, Italy. I am thrilled to be here. I'm getting ready for this upcoming year, 2024. As you know, we are just going through the book of Romans, not skipping a verse, just diving deep. Uh, You can study the whole of scripture in Romans. So we will be doing that. I hope you'll not miss a single week. Um, I think it's going to take all of us deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, every great revival that's ever taken place in the United States has come with Rome at the, Romans at the foundation. And I'm praying for that kind of revival this next year as we study this book, that it would just break out in our church, in our city, in our community, in our country, around the world. That's what I'm praying for. Um, I am standing in the courtyard of a uh, building that I think you'll you'll recognize um it is called the pantheon when you hear the word pantheon you might think in terms of pantheism meaning the worship of many gods and that's really why the pantheon was built in 25 bc by agrippa it was meant to make it clear that in the city of rome you can worship any god you want to worship as long as you don't think your god is the only true god and so yeah you can worship all these gods that you want to worship but don't forget Caesar is really in charge. And you can see then why this uh, gospel of Jesus would be so difficult for Christians to navigate in the first century. Paul writes to the church in Rome from Corinthians, from Corinth, um, and he writes this in 56 AD, something like that. And he doesn't know what's coming, but in this city, there's gonna be incredible persecution of Christians as Nero comes on the scene. And this letter that he's writing them, it's gonna be for them a foundation, a personal message, something that they can hold on to tightly that will sustain them and strengthen them and give them that personal faith. I pray it'll do that for us too. I don't know what our future holds, but I know we need a foundation like that. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the, it is the power of God that brings salvation. My prayer is as we study this together that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, but we would have confidence in its power um, to save, power to save us, to save the world. So be here every week. Can't wait to study this with you. Carl Kuhl is kicking off the series this week with a great message. Wish I could be there, uh, but looking forward to getting back soon. I'll be back next week um, as we continue in this series. I love you. I love our church. I'm excited that God has allowed us to be his church in this time, in this place in history. Um, I will see you next week. Would you please welcome Carl as he comes to preach? Well, I am really excited to get into Romans this year. Um, It has been called the treatise of the Christian faith, meaning it just explains it all better than anywhere else. Martin Luther, the Christian reformer from 500 years ago, called Romans the most important piece in the New Testament. He said it can never be too well read or studied. In fact, he said the more you do it, the more precious it becomes, the better it tastes. 
And I will echo what Kyle just said. I encourage you to be here every week this year because God wants to do something in you through this book. Besides, you already have perfect attendance. Don't mess it up next week. Now you do know that at this time of year, a lot of people have different goals, maybe resolutions, and they can be around fitness goals or number of books they wanna read or a business goal, finance goal, maybe a number of dates to go on goal to meet a spouse. And I'm for all those things. I have some of those goals myself. But here's the number one goal I have for myself this year, to be more intimately connected to Jesus. And not just to check the boxes, but to use those to become more connected to the man who saved me. To not just do what Jesus did, but to have the heart that Jesus has. So I am very excited for Kyle's vision for us to go through the book of Romans this year, because I know it's gonna help me do that. And I know if you put the time in, it's gonna help you do that as well. What you put into this is what you will get out of it. So I wanted to start the year by doing something to honor God's word that maybe is a little old fashioned to some of you, but I wanna ask all of you at every campus right now to stand for the reading of God's word. We are gonna read, uh, study Romans 1, verses one through six this year, and you can listen to this. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we pray that you will be honored in our lives. We pray that the book of Romans this year will convict us of our sin, that it will encourage us to run our race, that it will comfort us in our hurt. God, I pray that you give us not just an understanding of grace, but an encounter with grace. We are so sinful. Our biggest sin is thinking that we're not. We are utterly dependent on you for everything. May your grace come alive in us this year like never before. May you do that by pointing out new areas of our sin so we appreciate the depths of your grace. May those in our midst who don't know your grace find it so they repent and are baptized. May you meet our unforeseen pain this year with unreasonable grace. And may we love Jesus. May we be connected to Jesus like never before. Thank you for calling us child all through the sacrifice of Jesus. Father, will you open our hearts and our minds to your word today and throughout this year. We love you. It is in the great name of Jesus that we pray. And all the people said, Amen. You can be seated. Well, I have to tell you about my favorite movie series of all time. It is full of international intrigue. It has great stunts. It has high drama and great acting. It has built on itself over the years. I am talking about the best movie series of all time, Mission Impossible. 
I love Mission Impossible. I love Tom Cruise. I kind of have a man crush on him. I don't even care if you think that's weird or make fun of me. I'm not giving up. I love the way he runs, right? I wanna run like that run day. I love that he does his own stunts, that he does halo jumps and hangs off of airplanes and holds his breath underwater for extreme minutes at a time. I love how he rides motorcycles. I love in the last one, how he rode that motorbike off the cliff only to parachute to the ground. Unbelievable, I just eat it all up. And I am not the only one. Because in its history, the Mission Impossible franchise has grossed over $4 billion worldwide. Unreal. I was even disappointed recently due to the Hollywood writer strike. They announced the next Mission Impossible is going to be delayed an extra year. I was even more disappointed, actually. Last summer, I was in a local movie theater on opening night for Mission Impossible. As I'm waiting for the movie to start, I'm scrolling Twitter and I see on my phone that Tom Cruise showed up randomly at three different movie theaters throughout North America just to high five fans and get them hyped for the movie, thank them for coming out. But Tom, even though you're from Louisville at one point, you didn't stop by here and I didn't see you. I'm kind of bitter about it. I don't know why I'm talking to the camera as if he's watching, but Tom, I hope you're watching. I'd love to hang out someday. But the reason those movies are so popular in addition to great drama and Tom Cruise, is there something in us that longs for a mission. There's something in us that longs to be part of good defeating evil. There's something in us that wants to have a purpose that is bigger than ourselves and is more than just existing. And the first six verses of Romans is gonna give it to us today. It's gonna remind us why Jesus and his church are so amazing and helpful, but more than anything, it's gonna call us to a mission. And this mission is central to the Christian life. It is both difficult and fun. This mission de demands your all. It gives great fulfillment. But this mission demands that you get out of your comfort zone. You do something hard with no guarantee that God will bless it. So let's dive in. Verse one. It starts with this simple phrase, this letter is from Paul. Now, even secular scholars believe that Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, the book of Romans. They argue about some other things and say the Bible isn't what it says it is, but even the secular ones agree with this one. Let me remind you, if you don't know, Paul's story in brief. Paul was a Jewish religious leader, very zealous, very passionate. So much so that when he heard that there was a group of people saying that a man, Jesus, was God, he considered that blasphemy. So he dedicated his life to eradicating not just the blasphemy, but the blasphemers. And he would hunt them down and kill them. If you think of a modern day jihadist who says, because of my love for God, I will kill people who blaspheme God. That's what Paul was doing. But on his way to continue that, the Lord appears to him in a vision. He blinds Paul and he says, Paul, why are you hunting me? He then sends him into a city to a Christian who heals Paul of his blindness. Paul gets baptized. Then Paul takes that same zeal, that same passion with which he was killing Christians and uses that to lift up the name of Jesus. So he begins going on missionary trips. He plants a lot of churches and he writes a whole bunch of letters that become parts of our New Testament, parts of the Bible. Verse two talks about this phrase, the good news. And good news, uh, in other translations, translated gospel. Gospel means good news. 
And he's saying, we have this as good news. Think of when you get good news, right? Somebody texts you about good news. By the way, don't call when you have good news because whenever you call somebody, it's 2024, they just think something's wrong. Like what's the emergency? Just when you have good news, you can just text them, say, I got some good news. And then you followed up with what? What do people text you when they have good news? They say, I got the job or we're pregnant or I got published or she said yes, right? That's good news. And I wanna just pause here and tell you some good news that we need to celebrate as a church. Um, don't clap for everything I'm gonna say because it'll, we'll just be here all day and I wanna go to lunch and so do you. So I'll tell you when to clap. But we had a great uh, Christmas around here. We had over 48,000 people attend one of our Christmas services at any of our campuses, which I think means we have 48,000 drops of wax on the seats you're sitting in right now. I need to brag to you about how great your giving is. Our general fund last year was more than the previous year. You gave as a church $67 million. And then on top of that, to empty the jar, which is for camps and our Shine Disabilities Ministry and Nelson Campus Construction, on top of more regular giving than last year, you gave an additional, to empty the jar, $4.1 million, which means as part of all of that, you gave $16 million away to missions. Now you can clap because that's so great. And I just wanna remind you, I just wanna remind you um, that God's proud of you that you don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, you give joyfully and you give to God's mission and our elders are proud of you, Kyle is proud of you. I am so challenged and inspired by the generosity in this place, it's just amazing. Um, and the thing I love about it is you're not giving because you have to, you give because you wanna be part of the mission. In fact, I'll share the best two numbers that came out of this church last year. Through our partnership with ARC, with SC Recovery, we saw over 1,800 people baptized last year. And in one of our regional campuses altogether, we saw 2,390 baptisms in 2023. That is worth celebrating. <laughs> Verse two says though, God promised this good news through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Here's what this means, is the Bible is one story. It was not one story in the Old Testament and another story in the New Testament, one God in the Old Testament, one a different God in the New Testament. It's one cohesive story. You ever had to come up with a plan B for something? We had to do this last minute at Christmas. My 10 year old had come to me weeks before Christmas and he said, Dad, I got the perfect gift idea for my 12 year old brother. And he told me what it was. It was something off a YouTube golf channel that his brother watches. It was within his budget. I thought, that's a great idea. So we used my credit card to order it. It said it'd be here in five days. This was weeks before Christmas. Well, five days later, it hadn't shown up. So we emailed the help email info thing. And we immediately got a response that said, sorry, we're so overwhelmed with emails. We can't respond to you. Well, right at Christmas, we got an email that said, your item has been delivered. We run outside, it's not there. So we click the tracking info and it says our package was delivered to Connecticut. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> and so it wasn't gonna arrive and we later found out we're never going to get it. So they refunded the money. I went to my 10 year old, I said, well, it's not gonna get here. Do you wanna get your brother something else? No. You can't think of anything else to get him? No. Why not? Because there's nothing else as good as that. It's like, 
Well, you're right, just give them some cash. You're not gonna get them anything else. But we found ourselves in a situation like God, we did not have a plan B. Here's what I mean. Jesus was not plan B. God did not have a plan A. And then God, the father was sitting there thinking, huh, Jesus, they messed everything up out there. Um, I guess you're on deck, go save the world. That's not how it worked. It was always, it is always, it will always be all about Jesus. Let me show you scripturally real quick. Revelations 13, the lamb, meaning Jesus, was slaughtered before the world was made. Meaning before the moment of creation, God had in plan the idea that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. One story. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people. I will forgive their wickedness. I will never again remember their sins. Meaning hundreds of years before Jesus, God's giving his people foreshadowing, saying, hey guys, it's one story. And then my favorite example is John chapter five. Jesus is talking to the Bible experts. He says, you search the scriptures. I mean, you search the Old Testament because you think they give you eternal life. And then you can hear the, the frustration or pleading in his voice. But the scriptures point to me. I mean, hey guys, it's one story. It's why you often hear Christians say this, every story bears his name. Meaning every part of the Bible, every story, every verse ultimately was and is and always will be pointing to Jesus. So when we look back at verse two of Romans one, God promised this through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, we see this is a story God has been writing since the beginning of time. In fact, as we go through Romans this year, you're gonna see that there are more Old Testament quotes in the book of Romans than any other book in the entire Bible. Jesus was not plan B. And let me even lean in to those of you who think your life is on plan B, or your life is on plan D, or your, your life is on plan Z at this point. And you think, I really messed up what God had for me. God had an opportunity, I didn't take advantage of it. God put this in front of me, I sinned and messed up. This thing that was unexpected happened just took it all away. You are not on God's plan B. God foreknew the situation you are gonna be in today. And he has arranged the universe and he has sent his son so that he can give you what you need in this moment, whether that is comfort for your pain, direction for your confusion, encouragement for your soul. God has you, you are still part of his plan A. Verses three and four explain the story of Jesus in a couple sentences. It says the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. That's the story of Christmas, right? He was born of King David's line, he was born of a virgin. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the story of Easter. He was executed thrown in a tomb and raised to life on the third day to prove we could trust everything he ever said. And then I love this last line. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's why I love this, because this tells us everything we need to know about who is Jesus. Christ means sent from God. Jesus means he saves. Lord means he's our king. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, means he's our savior and king sent from God. He is our leader and forgiver sent from God. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Verse five says, through Christ, God's given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. What God has done for them is grace. It's what Romans is all about, it's grace. It's endless second chances. In fact, I'll jump ahead to my favorite verse in all of Romans right now. It's Romans 5, verse 8, that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, God looked at you in your worst moment, when you betrayed him, when you were that arrogant, when you were that lazy, when you told that lie you knew no one would ever find out. God looked at you and said, I love you so much, I'm gonna die for that. We don't deserve it. He dies for us anyway. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And when you get that in here, even over again, it will overwhelm you. C.S. Lewis said, we don't need to be taught new ideas as much as we need to be reminded of old truths. And this year, we're gonna be reminded of what God has done for us, which is grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Verse five says the goal of that is that we'll believe and obey. Now that pairing is common in scripture. It's when James says, if you have faith, you gotta have action. It's when Peter says, if you repent, you have to be baptized. It's believe and obey. I had a mentor years ago teach it to me like this. He said, don't give your life to Christ if you've got sin on the calendar. Meaning, if you're not planning to obey, in fact, if you're planning not to obey, then don't put on a show of faith because that's not really faith. But if you really get grace, then you believe and obey where you will say, Jesus, I'll do anything you ask me to do or not do because you're so good to me. And I don't know even what those things will be yet, but I'm saying yes to do and whatever you have in the future. And I know I will fail over and over and over again, but every time you will pick me up and I will continue to walk towards you, I know it will cost me anything, but I know it's worth everything. That's believe and obey. Verse six says you're included which means at one point you were not included. Have you ever felt like an outsider? Like maybe you traveled somewhere where you didn't speak the language everyone else was speaking, or you found yourself in the wrong class at school where everyone else was smarter than you are. Or maybe you found yourself at the dance only to realize you're the only one who didn't know how to dance. Verse six says, that feeling is gone because you're included. And what that means is the gospel is for you. Jesus is for you. Grace is for you. When you study Jesus' one-at-a-time encounters in the gospels, here's what you see. Jesus is for people on the fringes. Over and over, through Jesus' actions, we see him reach out to the lost, the lonely, the rejected, the crazy. He reached out to people society shunned, they weren't good enough, smart enough, healthy enough, pure enough. And he said, I came for you, you're invited. In fact, one time Jesus says, I wanna tell you what my kingdom is like. He says, it's like a man who threw a party, biggest party you'd ever heard of. And he had custom invites made and he sent them out. But one by one, they came back and people had declined. They said, I'm not coming, I can't come. The workers came to the man and said, Are we still gonna have the party? He said, you better believe it. Go out and find the poor, the 
the blind, the crippled, the disabled, and bring them all in. They said, we did, we still got room. He said, go to the countryside and find people who've run away. Look behind the hedges and alleys and find people who are hiding and bring them all in. And they did. And here's the point. We are the spiritually poor. We are the spiritually disabled. We are the spiritually blind and the people hiding in alleys and deserted rows because of who we are and what we've done and how people have treated us. And Jesus says, come on in. This is for you. You're invited. See, the story of Romans, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus is we were sinners. We burned and got burnt. We hurt and got hurt. We sinned and were sinned against. We find ourselves isolated with shame, regret, and fear. But God says, no, no, no. I want you to be my child. So he sent Jesus on a search and rescue mission. It's why Jesus says, I came to seek and save those who are lost, which means no matter who rejected you, no matter how you're not good enough, no matter how life has beat you down, Jesus said, I came for you because Jesus came for people on the fringes. And here's why I'm so passionate about this. Because I'm a person on the fringe. I battle loneliness, insecurity, and arrogance. I know I have God-given talents, but on one hand, I'm scared to use them because of my insecurity. I don't want to look like I'm arrogant. On the other hand, I know I'm arrogant, so when I do use them, I wonder if I'm serving myself. I love talking about discipline, but I'm lazy the majority of the time. I can lead a great meeting at work and go home and snap at my kids as soon as I walk in the door. I get so offended, really, when people sin against me. But in my real quiet moments, I wonder if that's just a defense mechanism so I can deflect looking in the mirror at my own stuff. I think you're the same way. I think you're insecure and you know it. You're arrogant and you know it. You're lazy and you know it. You hurt the people you say you love the most. You condemn other people for their sin, but it's really so you don't have to look in the mirror at yours. And here's the point. Jesus knew all this and he still came. There's this phrase that Christians have used for a long time. It's almost overused because it's so true. And it goes like this. If you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have still come just for you. Which means Jesus is for you. Endless second chances are for you. Hope is for you. God is for you. And the proof is in the cross. Kind of excited by Romans if you can't tell. Verse six goes on to say, you're called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now this word called, I like when I studied it because in the original Greek language this was written in, it's the word clay toss, clay toss. The reason that stood out to me is it's the same root Greek word from where we get the, uh, of the Greek word for church, which is ekklesia, clay toss called ekklesia church. Why do they overlap? Because church is those who've been called. When you're called to Jesus, you're also called to belong to his church. In fact, the way we say it around here is this, find your crew. We want you to find your crew. Jesus had a group of 12. He had an inner group of three that he spent the majority of his time with and investing in. And we wanna follow his example. I remember 
a fun story about this from years ago. I think it was 2007 when I was a resident at Southeast and one of my volunteer roles was to work in the next step room every week after church. Now this was back when we just had one campus as a as, as a church, we didn't have the dozen or more we have today. It was just a Blankenbaker campus. I think there was something like 15,000 people at that one campus every weekend at that time. So it was not uncommon as I was serving in the next step room to have a person come in there, kind of deer in headlights look. They were obviously brand new and wanted to get connected. And my role was to help them get connected. But they'd say this line, this place is just really big, <laughs> to which I think, yes, you're very smart. <laughs> but my job was to help make it feel small, Right. And so we'd do that and it worked, it was, it was great. But then my wife and I moved to another state to plant a new church and it took us several years at that place to, until it grew over 200 people. And I remember specifically, I think the church was maybe 150 people at the time. Uh, so it was small enough where I knew everybody, right? Like if you miss church, I personally knew it at that point. And there was a woman who had started coming and then one week she wasn't there. And, and the second week she wasn't there. And I think it was the third week she wasn't there, I noticed. And so I gave her a call just to check in on her. And she said, hey, thanks for the call. You know, um, that church isn't for me. I think I'm gonna find another church. To which I said, hey, that's great. There's lots of Bible-believing churches, you know, different churches for different people. I think that's fantastic if you find one. Um, but help me as a leader grow, you know, what, what should I learn? And then she said this phrase. She goes, you know, keep in mind, 150 people. She goes, this church is just too big for me. I was like, am I being punked right now? Like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I realized in that moment, a pivotal leadership lesson when it comes to church is that too big when it comes to church has 0.0, .0 to do with attendance and 100% to do with connection. Because if you have your crew, we could grow 10X and this place will feel like home to you. But if you do not have our crew, you can attend our smallest campus and it could even shrink in size. And you would say, man, this place is too big. And you'd be right, because you wouldn't know anybody. Our staff works tirelessly to create environments for you to get plugged in. If you need to try to find your crew or try again to find your crew, we want you to text groups to 733-733. We want to plug you in today. Here's why, God's family is not an audience. God's family is a community. So do what it takes, take a risk, have the conversation to find your crew. Now I told you today we're gonna have a mission and that's where we're gonna end. To get the mission, we have to go back to verse one. I wanna remind you of a phrase that he said in verse one. Paul, talking about himself, says, I was chosen by God, sent out to preach the good news. And so are you. You are on a mission from God to share the good news. When something transforms your life, you can't not share it. In fact, the thing I think of when I think of this theological concept is my wife and how her life has been transformed by Aldi grocery stores. My wife loves Aldi grocery stores. She doesn't understand why everybody is not on this bandwagon. She was on the bandwagon before there was a bandwagon. I think last service, she just met her new best friend because somebody said, I'm a district manager for Aldi. And my wife's eyes just got really big in awe and excitement. But my wife has dragged our kids in the middle of winter to grand openings. Uh, in fact, this Christmas, my same 10-year-old 
who struck out with his brother on gifts, uh, hit a home run with my wife because he handed her a gift to open. She unwraps it and she is so excited because inside is an adult Aldi onesie and she puts it on immediately (laughs) and she wears it with pride. She loves this thing. And here's why, because she, in her mind, she's encountered something so good, saving money, she just has to let other people know about it. Yes, I think I am comparing the gospel of Jesus to Aldi grocery store right now, just go with it. But this is what happens with the good news, is you encounter something so good that you can't not share it with other people. When as Romans 2, 4 says, the kindness of the Lord overwhelms you, you just have to get it out. It's why Jesus says, go into all the world. It's why Jeremiah says, it's a fire in my bones. If I try to hold it in, I can't. It's why in the theme verse for this series, we're gonna see in a couple of weeks, we are unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. And like Paul, we are all chosen to share the good news. So here's the challenge practically. Bring your one by Easter. Bring your one by Easter. Bring your lost friend, lost neighbor, lost coworker, whoever is your one, bring them on Easter, if not before. In fact, we practice evangelism, which means telling people about Jesus in all kinds of ways. But the easiest is this, come and see. Come and see the man who changed my life. Come and see my crew that keeps me going. Come and see what genuine worship feels like in a room with other believers. Bring your one by Easter. Set a goal for yourself to do that. For some reason, God has decided that the way he is going to change the world is through us. Meaning that what stands between the hope and the goodness of our God and your lost friend is you. Mark Batterson, a few years ago, wrote a book called All In. And he opens that book by talking about a group of brave souls from about a century ago who came to be known as one-way missionaries. Meaning they knew that God had called them, like he calls every Christian, to share the gospel. And so they were gonna go wherever it took to do so. And they bought one-way tickets to where they were going on the mission field, knowing they would never come back. Instead of a suitcase to pack all their belongings, they used a coffin, knowing I will be buried in the place where I am going. When they stood on the train or the boat as it was pulling away, they would wave to their family, to their friends, knowing I will see you again when the Lord calls us home to heaven. One of these one-way missionaries was A.W. Milne. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters in the tribe he was going to had martyred every missionary who had ever tried to infiltrate their tribe with the gospel. But God opened a door for him and by loving them and serving them well, he became part of the tribe and served there for 35 years, seeing them accept Jesus. So 35 years later, when he died, he was buried there. They erected a tombstone with this epitaph. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. And then Mark Batterson wrote this. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? 
that faithfulness is holding the fort, that playing it safe is safe, that there is any greater privilege than sacrifice, that radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It is storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It is a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. The gospel means you are not an outsider. You've been invited. Jesus gave his all for you. So we give our all for him. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to bring your one by Easter. Because, verse five, God has given us the privilege to tell people everywhere what God has done. And if that doesn't excite you, you know, it's hard to get other people excited about something for which you're not excited. May you find your crew to have people spur you on. And may you be part of this journey through Romans every week this year so you can be reminded anew of the goodness and the kindness and the grace and the majesty of God. Some of you are the one. You're sitting next to the person who said, come and see. We've been talking about you. If you have not accepted the gospel of Jesus, we have good news. He is Christ, sent from God. He is Lord, a worthy King. And he is Jesus, the savior of our souls. Will you give up everything to place your life in his hands? Verse six, because you are included among those who've been called to belong to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we need your grace. <laughs> Father in heaven, we need your grace. We need your grace. Thank you for unmerited forgiveness. Thank you for endless love. And thank you for the mission of a lifetime that we get to be a part of. You are our savior, you are our king. We love you. It is in the great name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.